This episode of Sweating the Small Stuff is brought to you by Podfaves.com. You love podcasts, but it's hard finding that next bingeable listen. Podfaves takes out the guesswork by curating a list of the best shows out there, so you can spend less time searching and more time listening. That's P-O-D-F-A-V-S dot com. And now that you know, let's get on with the show. Hello all, and welcome to Sweating the Small Stuff, a show where we sweat over the details that make our world richer. I'm your personal brain trainer, Cameron Buzard-Jamari, and Scott Holmdahl is here to discuss a lot of interesting things about music and how I think music is a thing we interact with every day. People love listening to music. Music is the ambiance of so many places we go. But there's so much more to the music than I think most people appreciate. I'm really glad you came to me with this incredible idea. So why don't you, uh, why don't you give us a little intro on yourself and kind of what got you here? What got you to this idea? Yeah. So just just a little bit of background. Like um, every angsty high schooler in the world, I, I played with, uh, you know, rock bands with my buddies, you know, jam sessions, uh, which prompted me to get more interested in the technical side of music. Um I was more interested in like the mastering side of how do you take all of these sounds, you know, like let's say you're routing an, uh, a guitar through like a particularly an electric guitar. You're, you're routing that through like eight different sources and, and different analog and digital gear and then producing something that sounds good at the end. So my senior year of college, I took a class on electronic music production and found that my experience with these like high school rock bands was like just the tip of the iceberg. Um, in terms of um, the technical side of music. So I've been uh, producing as a hobby. Again, I use the term bedroom producer. Um, It's basically a ubiquitous term for someone who just produces as a hobby in their bedroom primarily. Um, <laughs> I wish the word bedroom wasn't there. It's like, it's like a certain amount of credibility disappears when you add the word bedroom to anything. <laughs> All right. So I'll just, I'll, I'll just go with the title of producer. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, just, just to jump right into the, a couple of things that I thought might be interesting to discuss. Um, one of the things that fascinated me when I first started producing in what I'll call the digital realm, mm-hmm. um, if you've ever heard of programs like Ableton, Fruity Loops, uh, Reaper, etc., they're all called um, DAWs or, or digital audio workstations. And essentially, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. Um, it's basically instead of using an actual instrument, you have all of these like digitally produced instruments that are emulating a real world instrument. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and I I think it's important to just jump in real fast. Like this is, we like to think of it as being a thing that's existed for a while, but for literally thousands of years, humans had found all sorts of different ways to make noises using things from the environment, either beating on a log or stretching animal skins over a tube or you know, blowing into a hollow reed. And that that is all the realm of analog music. Even more modern, like, guitars that have hollow bodies that resonate sound are all, they're acoustic. They're all, I guess, in a way you could call them analog. I, I, I would actually uh, add that as a phase before analog. I would say that it started with, I would call mm-hmm. it, like, the acoustic phase or, like, percussive phase where you're, hitting something or striking an object or plucking it in a unique way to make a, make a particular sound. And then, yeah, um, that's fair. Cause then the analog phase was when we figured out how to amplify mm-hmm. sound without actually 
creating it. So you're still strumming the guitar. You're still blowing into the instrument. And there's a membrane just there's something inside of the microphone or inside the chamber that's moving back and forth just like in these microphones right now that is then creating a frequency, a wave that is then amplifies using electricity and comes out somewhere else as speakers. So in a way, it's still that natural sound with big air quotes, but it's not what's suddenly happening where we're making music out of nothing Yep. in a way. Yeah, and... Then the the big transition was was just out in the last twenty thirty years is uh, moving into the digital realm where you're you're li- it's literally just ones and zeros and you're making noise um, by post processing the output from these digital audio workstations. Um, so one of the things that that really um, fascinated me when I first started digging into this is how much the digital realm seeks to emulate the percussive analog physical mm-hmm. world sound um so one 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 example that i discuss sometimes when i'm when i'm rambling about this to anyone who will listen if you were to say try and emulate the sound of like of someone playing like one note of a violin mm-hmm. in like a large cathedral or chamber of some other kind what you would do in your digital audio workstation is you'd You'd take some synthesizer mm-hmm. um, and you'd make what's called a saw wave. It's essentially a really jagged. I mean, if you can imagine a, a sine wave being like a smooth, circular curve. I, I think you literally think of it like a saw. So if yeah. you've ever seen the teeth of a saw, it's like the the tooth comes straight out perpendicular and then it kind of slants back down at a 45-degree angle. So yep. it makes this little triangle that looks exactly like saw teeth yep. on a saw. Uh-huh. So yeah, that was a much better description than I, than I could have given. So essentially, <laughs> different different types of waves um, emulate uh, or, or or sound similar to different physical instruments. So a, a saw wave sounds very similar to like stringed instruments. A square wave, um, which is essentially just um, flat periods at the peaks and troughs of the mm-hmm. sine wave, instead of having any rounding, that'll sound very similar to a woodwind instrument. Um, and then a sine wave will be generally similar to like a bell like a ringing, some sort of resonating yeah. like metal. Not yeah, or just it's, percussion. It's, it's, it's a hard one to describe. Okay. Sine is so so vague. Um, I I, I like I, it sounds like bells to me, but someone else will hear. Well, what I want drums. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what I like to appreciate about what you're saying right now, though, is that like we've figured out how to isolate the I guess in a way essence mm-hmm. of the sounds that these instruments make. So that we can make them synthetically yep. without the actual instrument, which mm-hmm. is mind-blowing that someone took the time to figure that. I'm, I'm probably one of one person, probably plenty of people over a long time, slowly piecing together like this is what makes a woodwind a woodwind. Mm-hmm. This is what makes um, hitting a bell th- that sound. And that's incredible. Yeah. One, one of the really interesting things that we did, and I might have some of the technical details fuzzy here because it was, it was a long time ago. But in that class, we, we took a, a breadboard some resistors and I think a capacitor and built like a small synthesizer by like matching the using like a fixed capacitor and then variable resistors and then like tuning those resistances so that the system would oscillate at a particular frequency and like literally make sound out of that. That would just be a sine wave that it was producing. Mm-hmm. But that was just fascinating that you could throw that together in two minutes on a breadboard yeah. um, with modern, modern tech. So, so back, back to the, um, the violin example. Um, 
as I said, one of the things that's really difficult in the digital realm is to emulate like a real world sound. So if you, you have your, your saw wave, which sounds relatively similar to a violin, um, obviously the violin body is going to resonate certain frequencies and mm -hmm. filter out others. Um, from there though, to capture the, f the feeling of you being in a cathedral, what you're going to have to do is throw on some delay. So you have your sound, you make your sound in your cathedral. It's going to bounce off the walls and come back to you mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, decreased volume levels, but from different sides. So you have to throw in a delay to make the sound um, bounce back at you at a reduced um, amplitude. And then also throw in an effect called a reverb, which captures like the, um, what I'll call like the uh, internal reflections within the cathedral. Cause you have something that's gonna bounce off the north wall into the east wall, into mm -hmm. the south wall, and then back to you. Yeah, this is this is not just this fact that we're like stacking a stretched out sound on top of the original sound. Now we are literally trying to map 3D space virtually mm -hmm. to kind of get yep. what is like the natural sound. And it, and 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 then on on top of that, you might want to filter out. Let's say one wall of the cathedral is wood, and the other one is metallic. Mm -hmm. The metallic side is going to reflect sounds better. And so it, I, I found it very funny that you we, we there's all this effort and complex like digital processing of these sounds to approximate and yeah. I, and 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 it's a and I'm using that term loosely uh, approximate the sound of actually playing a violin in that cathedral and you you are only capturing maybe maybe a tenth of the complexity of the actual sound and the actual reverberations around that cathedral but you're using all this post processing to mm -hmm. like try to replicate the actual sound of it of it um, being produced in a cathedral, and that, and, that, and that fascinated me that like all this technology and like processing power is going towards something that I could go walk to like my my nearby church with mm -hmm. a violin and do in two seconds. Yeah, and that's uh, well, I love that you brought this up and that it gets you so excited because this is, I think this is something that we always like to talk about in this show is that these little details is all these little pieces that add up and make you really believe or get invested in an idea. We had an interview with a sci-fi consultant and the entire time we were just talking about like the importance of just getting an idea, right? This is getting sound, right? This is like, I don't believe cap is addressing all the people, all the Avengers, unless I can hear the reverb of like the air, the helicarrier hangar, or I don't believe that this person's really trapped in a crumbly building unless I can hear like in their breath, not just their breath, but like the breath and how it's kind of like slowly echoing through the space. It's all these little details that ha help paint a movie, help make the music feel bigger than the, just a guy in a studio. It's all these things that stack up together. Yeah, it feels authentic, I would say. Exactly, it's a, it's that's such a, a challenge. Word. Yeah. Now, I'll say the caveat there is you're using all this processing power to emulate it. I used it with the violin cathedral example. Let's say instead of a cathedral, maybe I wanted, um, you know, a, a, a chamber orchestra, and that's what I wanted my my sound to emulate. It's a lot easier to swap that out in the in the digital world. You know, you just throw in a different preset reverb you've built, and mm -hmm. whereas instead you might have to travel two miles to the the local chamber. So there there is a degree of flexibility you get by emulating it and, and approximating this real world sound in that way, but. It did just fascinate me that that and, and still does that there's so much work then and, and resources go into making something sound less synthetic than it is. And actually something I'd like to understand, and maybe you do, do or don't know this. Um, so 
is it possible like I would go into a music studio and I would record myself saying something or doing something and they're able to emulate this 3D space for my voice. Like it's not just we're creating digital noises synthetically and putting them in a synthetic environment. We can take natural, well, quote unquote natural voices because even my whatever I would produce would still be recorded digitally as ones and zeros somewhere mm -hmm. and then process them into a similar space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right right now we're recording in a relatively small room. If I wanted to take the audio recording here and throw it in my DAW and make it sound like we were doing this entire interview in a cathedral, it might sound a little wonky because you're putting reverb on an existing reverb mm -hmm. that's kind of, you know, baked into the audio recording we're producing today. Um, but it is 110% possible. Awesome. Um, that's really, that's just fascinating to hear about. So jumping on to a similar topic. Yeah. Um, I, as I understand, you actually came to us with a, a few different topics. That I'll get you excited. Yeah. I, I had to jot down notes because I, I felt like I would just ramble in a very scattered way if I didn't. Um, another thing that I found very interesting in a similar vein is how we use this kind of digital technology to not only emulate real world sounds, but also emulate, I'll say traditional sounds in the sense that I am introducing some degree of imperfection into my synthesizer to emulate an equivalent synthesizer from the 1980s, which had that imperfection because they didn't have the technology mm -hmm. to not have that imperfection. Mm -hmm. One of the quintessential examples of that is wave re-triggering. With a digital audio workstation, if I have a saw wave and I wanna hit you know, a C note, um, six times in a row really rapidly, every time I hit that C note, it's going to restart from like time zero of that mm -hmm. wave. With the 1980s synthesizers, what they would do is they had the saw wave running and it was always running because they didn't know how to stop it and restart <laughs> it at different times. So when you hit that C note, you you aren't necessarily at time zero. You could be anywhere in that wave waveform. Um, so you might end up, you know, a little bit to the right of the peak, right around where the, the 45 degree slant comes back to zero, or you might be down near the bottom, the trough of the wave. So just um, to be clear, you're saying that the the first wave, there's like this, you can imagine in your head, this like saw pattern uh -huh. moving across a screen yep. or wherever you want to imagine it is. And now another saw pattern, just a little bit off from the first one is now appearing next to it as you start hitting the second one, because they didn't know how to stop the first one. Yep. And so every single time you hit the key again, the saw pattern is happening. And I, I think something that kind of adds to the authenticity is that imperfection. The fact yep. that it's not just like the same pattern starting over and over again. It's this one pattern that is in a, in a small way randomly layered on top of the other ones. Almost randomly. I would say effectively random. Yeah. Like when we say random, it means someone's hitting the synth to trigger that note. But they're not hitting it perfectly on time every time necessarily. Yep. Humans, as much as we like to think we are very disciplined and capable, we're not machines. We're not that precise. So there is mm -hmm. always going to be that small amount of imperfection that humans introduce to music. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I was going to say, um, I guess this goes back to the real, world's, uh, real world sound section. But when I write a piano in a song I'm making, for example, I'll write down the, like the chords I want or something. Mm -hmm. And then I'll go back. And I'll take that and instead of putting them all at like the same volume at the same time, I'll intentionally mistime them and make certain notes louder than others to, to, to emulate the fact that when you're playing a chord on a piano, you have, you know, 
four fingers pressing down at roughly the same time, but mm -hmm. maybe your index finger hits, you know, 50 milliseconds before your ring finger. Maybe your ring finger hits a little harder than your index finger. Um, so you, and, and it'll sound really unnatural if you were yeah. to, like, to, to, to record something where it's like a robot was playing this perfectly. I think that's actually a really interesting point is like, you're not just messing with the frequency, you're messing with the amplitude not like for anyone listening, I'm, I'm sure everyone at some point has heard these expressions, but basically the frequency defines what the actual note is. It's mm -hmm. defining what is a C and what's a C sharp. The amplitude is how loud that C or C sharp is. Mm -hmm. So if you are pressing the keys on a piano, the harder you hit the key, the higher the amplitude of the note that's made. Yep, exactly. And so that's that, that's interesting. I didn't even think about the fact that you wouldn't want to just mess with the frequency and when it's triggered, you also want to mess with how loud it's being played. That's that is fascinating. Okay. So in a, in that similar vein of this kind of kind of emulating the what I'll call nostalgic sounds, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think you see it a lot in modern music, modern culture. Um, obviously, Stranger Things just came out, and that's yes. basically just a. Hey everyone, are you nostalgic about the '80s? So are we. <laughs> um, there's also a genre. All, all the music from Stranger Things is part of a genre called synthwave, which is mm -hmm. essentially a modern take on a lot of these sounds that were popular in the '80s. Um, and they're using things like this this wave, or I guess they're excluding modern modern features of a synthesizer like wave retriggering. Mm -hmm. um, again, to emulate those sounds. Um, even in, uh, 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 well, I'm sure you've heard of Kanye West's 808 and, 808s and Heart, Heartbreak. Yeah. Um, modern trap music is built on the 808 um, kick drum. I don't know if that means anything. It's essentially a really deep, like almost sine wave, but a little bit more nuanced. Yeah, it's, um, it's, to be clear, an 808 kick drum, it's, this, it's just speaking to the fact that a lot of, and please do correct me, a lot of sounds you hear that make up kind of like the beats and loops of a lot of modern pop music, unless you have a live band performing it, there's probably Taylor Swift's probably not doing, or Kanye no. is probably not doing his own instruments. No. He's probably just creating the rhythms and the 808 drum kick is speaking specifically to, at some point someone created this recording of that specific, what might in some minds be iconic. And I, I'll see if I can try and find it and leave it in the show notes what it sounds like because I'm sure once you hear it, you'll know it. But an 808 drum kick, if you look it up, it is just that iconic sound mm -hmm. that is like the beat driving a lot of tracks. Yep. And yeah, and, and again, in, in particular, um, trap music, it's all 808s. It's actually the entire 808 kit. And the 808 kit was this, was this thing um, by, I think, Roland that came out in the early 80s. And it essentially it was almost like a, a drum sequencer that just had, here's my 808 kick, here's my 808 closed hi-hat, my 808 open hi-hat, my 808 snare, 808 uh, clap, etc. Mm -hmm. And people made beats off of that. And again, uh, it wasn't like 808 was the only Roland that was released. There were 707s, 909s, etc. Um, it just became so iconic. And now much of modern hip-hop, modern trap, pop music is built off of this kind of I don't want to say arbitrarily built, but just this particular, particular drum kit that's that that Roland developed in the early '80s, which I, f I find so interesting. That like the, I'm sure he wasn't thinking like, man, 
30 years from now, uh, this, this kick drum is going to go under some, some nice, uh, uh, 50 cent beats. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's what's funny about all of these is like a lot of the people who started creating these just sounds that have become quintessential with what is in most popular music is they, they created them just be out of necessity. Like this was a time when mm-hmm. there was no internet, yep. there was no easy way to get these sounds out there for people to use in their music or even to just quickly like go out in the street, record something and share it with everyone. You had to really go out of your way to get the recording equipment and everything you need to isolate those noises or to even just artificially create them. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the last uh, example I highlighted for, for kind of this um, emulation of, of, of older nostalgic sounds is a, if, I'm sure you've run into that YouTube uh, channel called like chill beats to study to or something to that effect Mm -hmm. and just lo-fi music in general it it is like lo-fi quite literally stands for low fidelity Mm -hmm. and so the idea is you're taking this very high fidelity technology and intentionally making it sound lower tech Mm -hmm. because that's more appealing to listeners they want to hear vinyl crackle even though you know you made this in your DAW. I, I have like a half a dozen vinyl samples in my samples of just vinyl crackle in my mm-hmm. um, sample library, just because sometimes it just sounds nice to throw <laughs> on a little vinyl crackle on, on in the background of a song and make it sound a little bit more authentic. Yeah. There's just to be clear about this fidelity, you can have the perfect quintessential sound of a snare drum being played. Mm-hmm. But when you have that like snare, that sounds like, any sort of band leader is just kind of like whacking on the drum. That's that's when it feels like people are playing. That's when you really start connecting with the music. And 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 I think that the 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 presence of these kind of nostalgic sounds in music is just kind of a result of just a broader trend of of cyclicality in music. Mm-hmm. Um, my internal theory, and this has not been uh, vetted by anyone except me. But um, <laughs> I, I think a lot of a lot of genres of music follow kind of a boom, fringes, and then revival trend. Mm-hmm. Um, you I think, think a about, lot of things just in culture yeah, follow that. That's I where mean, nostalgia you, comes from. You think you think about um, like rock music in like the '60s and '70s with like the Beatles and Led Zeppelin, and then it kind of got pushed into the fringes and in the form of like punk rock, and then. You know, people were like, hey, we were, we, we kind of want this back, but we're like, let's tone it down or make it a little more modern. And then you see alt rock popping up in the 90s. Yeah. You see that with um, the cyclicality with, uh, again, this 1980s music and this nostalgia for the 80s. That's really just popped up in the last last decade. Um, you think about EDM in general, um, the, the the days of like house music and like the the early 2000s. And then you have dubstep, which is like the same kind of EDM genre, but we've just pushed it to an extreme out to the fringes. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're starting to see um, kind of a revival of all these genres where, where you have like future house, future bass, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. Um, it, just, it just seems like a, a recurring, recurring trend. Um, and, I, and I think it is. And, 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 and that's one of the driving factors behind this emulation of old sounds is just we're trying to do a modern take on something that was really popular 30, 40 years ago. So we have to make our, our sound sound like they were produced with the technology yeah. from 30, 40 years ago. Thank you so much for bringing us all these awesome ideas. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. So is there anything else you'd like to let us know before we go? No, just thank you for having me. Um, well, let me ask where can, if we want to listen to some of your bedroom beats, 
<laughs> um, where uh, where can uh, we check them out or where can we find you to just like, you know, get in touch and learn more about all the awesome stuff you get to do? Uh, I have a SoundCloud. Uh, it's that uh, I'm hoping we keep this podcast low key because I don't publicize it besides to my, uh, my my immediate friends and family. But uh, I guess I'm on the spot. Um, I mean, for don't the, for don't the, put yourself on for blast. The, for the record, uh, the name is a cheesy reference to an inside joke from my eighth grade chemistry class. So it's instantly going to be offensive and terrible. No, no, no. It's not. It's not. It's just kind of nerdy. Uh, the name is Willie Crooks after Sir William Crooks. I, it was <laughs> just a joke. It was nice. just a joke to, with one of my buddies. We were, we were learning about two chemists and I was like, oh, man, I'm so cool. I'm, I'm, my rap name would be really Willie Crooks, but you'd be like – you know, Francis Bacon or something like how that. Do you spell, how do you spell that? <laughs> but it's W-I-L-L-Y um, space C-R-O-O-K-E-S. And it just really got under his skin. And it, <laughs> when I when I had to make a SoundCloud name, it was the first thing that popped into my mind. So There's nothing to be ashamed of there. That is <laughs> awesome. And, yeah, thank you so much for coming in. Um, for all you listening at home, if you haven't already, please – do go like, subscribe, share this episode with a friend. I'm sure you have plenty of friends who like to learn more about how music is completely just adding this incredibly new layer to how we experience the world. Please do go like, share it with a friend. And if you want to get in touch with us, we're Small Stuff Show on all social media. And we have a subreddit, our Small Stuff Show, where you are more than welcome to come and comment on this episode's post. Till then, I'm your personal brain trainer, Cameron Boozer Demary, reminding you, from movies to media to the world around us. It's details like these that make it worth sweating the small stuff. Love that sign off. <laughs> <laughs>